This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. In the early 90s, Chapel Hill, North Carolina was dubbed the next Seattle after a bunch of fans from the area got national notice. 25 years later, a lot has changed in that scene, but a lot has stayed the same. What makes a music scene strong? This is an especially important question in 2017, when scenes are making a significant comeback. Welcome to The Future of What. I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rockstars. Support for The Future of What comes from Merch Table. Since 2002, Merch Table has operated and managed online stores for hundreds of successful musicians, record labels, comedians, artists, and small businesses. Big or small, set up shop today by visiting merchtable.com. On today's show, we talk to a panel of people from all over the music scene in the Triangle at the lovely Motorco Music Hall in Durham, North Carolina. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Support for the future of what comes from Sound Exchange. You're listening to the future of what. We're talking to Chaz Martinstein from Bull City Records, Mark Connor from The Cave, Allison Hussey from Indie Week, Sarah Schmader from Burn Suite Booking, Aaron von Steinberg from WXDU, and Stephen Mooneyhan from Local 506. Hi, everybody. Welcome to lovely Motorco Music Hall. Thanks for having us. I'm Portia Sabin. I run the independent label Kill Rockstars, and this is my podcast, The Future of What. Today, I'm going to just start by having everybody go down the line and introduce themselves on this panel, and then we'll we'll explain what we're going to talk about. So let me start down there with Chaz. Hey, everybody. I have a record store called Bull City Records here in town. Uh, how much do you want us to talk about ourselves? <laughs> just that? How long have you been doing it, Chaz? Oh, uh, since 2005. Opened it. So it's been coming up on 12 years in town. I've also run a small label and I've, we had a small DIY space downtown for a while. So I like music a lot. So I've had my hand, tried to have my hands in as much as I can with booking, selling, all that stuff. It's fun. I'll pass on to Mark here. Hi, everyone. Thanks. That's what my meetings are normally like. I'm Mark Connor. I own The Cave and I manage Slim's two small venues in this area. The Cave is in Chapel Hill and Slim's is in Raleigh. I operate a small booking agency and I am also a performer of music. Hi, I'm Allison Hussey. I am the music editor at Indie Week, which I'm sure most of you know is the weekly that covers Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill. I've been writing about music since about 2010. I've just always been a really big fan of all the amazing stuff that we've got going on here. And I freelance as well for a number of other publications. I'm Stephen Mooneyhan. I'm the general manager and the talent buyer at Local 506 in Chapel Hill. I've been doing it for about three years. I went to school at UNC and kind of fell into a situation where I could just keep playing music and booking bands and sorts of Yeah, I've also played in music bands and tour managed a little bit. So try and get my hands at as many different areas as I can. Hi, my name's Aaron Van Steinberg. I'm a DJ and currently serving as programming director at WXDU Durham, which I've been doing for like four months now. I've been a DJ for like a year and a half. Um, I'm also a college student. I also sort of play music a little bit, but I'm not good, so yeah. 
I'm Sarah Schmader. I have a day job at the Indy being an account executive, and then I run a booking agency called Burn Suite Booking, along with a twice-monthly local showcase called Saving Space Showcase. Great. Well, welcome, you guys. Thanks all for being here. So today on this panel, what we're really going to talk about is the health of a music scene is really... You can see the health of a music scene by the variety of businesses that are thriving in a given music scene. Now, I'm trying to figure out, what do we call this music scene? Is it still Chapel Hill like it was in the I think the 90s? triangle, yeah, just the triangle. Just the triangle. Kind of large, yeah. As everybody kind of jumps between cities, and I mean, as you can see, Mark has a spot in Chapel Hill and Raleigh, and all the bands jump around also, so the triangle. Great. So who wants to start by just giving me your take on what is happening in the scene in the Triangle right now? Allison. (laughs) (laughs) Allison. Sure. I am pretty consistently amazed at how many pretty amazing bands that we have coming out of here. And it really does run the gamut from experimental electronic stuff all the way up to, you know, we've got like bigger bands like His Golden Messenger now. And I think it seems like it's, really, really healthy, which makes my job really hard sometimes because it's really impossible to cover everything as as much as I would like to. But it is really amazing to see just how how many different people are doing so many different things. And two, something that seems really unique about it is that it doesn't feel like it's super competitive. People who are in bands, they're, you know, consistently helping each other out. They're helping each other like book shows or Sometimes it seems like everybody is in everybody else's band. It feels really collaborative in a lot of really creative ways, and I'm excited to see how it's going to continue to grow. So what about for like a record store like yours? I mean, what have you seen? The record business, which I am also in, <laughs> has been really bizarre. Well, it's uh, always interesting. And, and you know, we went through a pretty significant downturn during the time that you have been doing this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But things seem to be getting better or at least changing in a way that's not horrific. Yeah, that's not as scary as it used to not be. Not quite as scary. So mm-hmm. what's what have you noticed in the last few years? Well, definitely just the pickup in of, of vinyl, which we're all aware of, has been huge. But uh, what Porsche is referring to is, yeah, back in like 2008 or so, things got pretty very hairy because you had CDs declined, didn't decline, CDs just pretty much broke. And then MP3s went up, which was good. So people were still consuming some, but not so much in record stores and, and in the physical product of the labels. But yeah, I would say since about 2009, definitely 2010, we started to see an up curve, an upswing in music sales again. And I would say right now, I think maybe you, hopefully you still you see the same thing, but I think it's still climbing. Uh, we haven't hit a plateau yet, which is awesome, but it's all vinyl sales. And if you've kind of kept an eye on shops over the past five years or so, you all actively saw CD bins shrink. So it's been really interesting. But I, I lose like a CD row every few months or so the LPs creep into it because uh, just the LPs are selling you know the bigger variety you have the more you're going to sell just people come in and browse which is nice so it's it's getting healthy again and it's enough that it's yeah less scary less stressful doors can stay open <laughs> so it's good <laughs> very good what about the people who you who come into the store I mean are you seeing a change in demographic or is it pretty consistent I would say it's pr- consistent, but more. So always we've had, you know, curious kind of high school kids and some middle school kids, and they're still coming. There's just more of them. Um, there was a while where college kids just were not your demographic, and that's just because of MP3s and streaming. But we're starting to see college kids come back, and then we've had regulars. I've had regulars of every age for the whole time, but what we're seeing is just a, a more of a volume. 
of uh, of regulars coming in. But it's it's the entire age, like it's everybody. So it's there's no specific uh, bracket of of age of folks who are shopping. I'd say maybe your most consistent shoppers are are folks maybe a little bit more established, so a little post like 27 or something like that, just because there's more, I guess, more disposable income maybe there or. But yeah, I think it's just volume has increased. We haven't really seen much of a change in, in age, but a lot more people interested in it. Probably, in my experience, the most difficult thing to get nowadays is a booking agent for most bands. That's, that's just for whatever reason that's become the most in-demand thing, and it could have something to do with the, you know, I saw a graphic the other day that said something like 63% of bands' incomes are now made from touring plus, like, streaming or something. So have you had to turn a lot of people away, Sarah? Yes, yeah. And I mean, it's interesting, these local bands that are trying to figure out where to put their attention, kind of, and discussing if they're going to be doing their own promotional and their own booking. And because booking is not something generally people like to do, therefore, (laughs) there aren't a lot of local booking agents. And because it's not the most lucrative part of the business to be in, I'd say, as an agent. But... It's really be, has to be people that really care about it and love it and want to get these bands out on the road. And it's also your friends. You know, like you want to work with people that you believe in and bands you believe in that you want to get out into different scenes. So I think that that's been one of the biggest struggles for local bands is doing it on their own or finding someone else who's willing to do it for them because it's a lot of work. And also kind of being a booking agent and then seeing it all the way through the process is interesting. Like I've only been booking the tours and then just saying, okay, take it from here. And breaking those steps down for bands is an interesting process for them because they kind of just have to pick up where someone else's work ended and then carry it on from there. So breaking it down a little bit helps and I think is necessary but it's also like a lot of lessons to be learned by these bands about, oh, you're not going to do this entire process for me. You know, it's like send the advance. And then if you want to hit up the blogs in that area or make your Facebook events, all those things. So I think that's been an interesting balance of what different steps and tasks the bands are willing to take on themselves or give to somebody else. Aaron, maybe you can speak to like, what are the different genres that are happening in the triangle right now? Yeah, kind of what Allison said, like a really broad range of stuff happening. I mean, even like specific venues that'll book just like everything. I mean, I know something that comes to mind specifically is like Nightlight in Chapel Hill will do sort of like experimental like house or techno just like shows, but then are also releasing or or doing like a release party for like House and Land and some other like really just like Appalachian folk stuff. So I think that's kind of an interesting interaction between like really super like hundred year long established like traditions and music in the area. And then sort of like this new influx of like young people like me who have like lived here for like two and a half years and are bringing kind of other cultural influences. So it's sort of like this melding pot. It's really cool, especially if you're someone who's like really into everything or, you know, into something of everything. There's like never not something to see. Uh, which is really cool. Yeah, what do you think, Stephen? I mean, in terms of booking acts for your club? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, and I think when I came into it, I benefited from coming to an established club that Glenn had previously ran. He asked me to 
be here today. You get a whole bunch of different kinds of bands come through. You get a whole bunch of different kinds of touring acts that want to play in the area. And there's never really a problem finding locals to play. There's a really wide variety of music. And I think it's, for the most part, quality. Like, I've played a lot of other areas and had to play with some bands that I was very confused about. And I think that here is a very strong music scene. And I was happy I got to stick around and be a part of it and book things. Cool. Mark, did you want to speak to who's coming through? How hard is it? What's the competition like nowadays in terms of putting together shows? Boy, I mean, there's we get so many requests from out-of-town acts wanting to come through that I, I w- would say most of the competition in the area between clubs is trying to pair, especially clubs of my size. Mine are smaller. They're both under 100 capacity. But of like the smaller rooms trying to build an audience for these quality touring acts. I think that might be the most difficult thing. Like where Sarah mentioned, like getting in touch with the right people in other cities for bands that want to tour from here, helping bands do that as they come through is a really difficult thing because it still makes the most sense to have a personal connection in order to reach people. Like if a band knows Chaz, Chaz is going to tell a bunch of people to go see that band and people around here trust Chaz. The same with Allison, the same with anybody up here. So that I think is the greatest challenge. So that, and like I said, as far as competition goes, connecting the right local talent with the touring acts that come through. What I could say to you again
Losing a Year by Jeff Hansen. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes and leave us a review. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. Looking for more great podcasts? Try the Mike Herrera Hour, a weekly show featuring writers, entrepreneurs, and plenty of musicians. Recent guests include David Bazan, Travis Barker, and Dropkick Murphy's Tim Brennan. You can hear the show live every Friday night on IDOBI Radio or find the Mike Herrera Hour wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to The Future of What. We're talking to Chaz Martinstein from Bull City Records, Mark Connor from The Cave, Allison Hussey from Indie Week, Sarah Schmader from Burn Sweet Booking, Aaron von Steinberg from WXDU, and Stephen Mooneyhan from Local 506. Something... That I've been noticing lately that I think is really interesting is sort of this, there was this promise of the internet, right? The internet was going to open these doors for us all and we were all going to, musicians were going to be able to not just get their music to their local scenes, but out into the world and make millions and millions of fans. And that kind of didn't happen, right? Instead, I think what we've seen, certainly in 2017, is almost like we're back to scenes, right? And I feel like certainly in retail... And from a label perspective, we've discovered there's a great benefit in super serving the super fan, right? So let's say you only have 2,000 fans. Well, you're going to make something really deluxe for them, and they're all going to buy it, which is a very different business model than I want to have 2 million fans that I can, you know, that are going to buy this thing that costs a dollar. How do you guys feel that that is, I mean, do you see that here in this scene? Do you see, do you see that kind of local cohesion and people really supporting each other in this way? Yeah, we definitely do. You know, you have a lot of bands that are just pressing 50 CDRs or something like that, or 10 tapes, and you're going to sell out of all of those. Uh, so I think that says it right there. That's, I guess, on that's on the smaller scale. But a lot of our local music, I think, on that level of like, you know, CD press of like, kind of like you said, a thousand, two thousand CDs, really they are just selling those locally. You can move those pretty easily through shows, through the stores, through your website. So I think we do. Yeah, I think we do have a good, healthy, just kind of local sourcing, local scene. Yeah, I th- yeah, I, I would say so. And then we also actually will see like short run LPs and stuff like that where these bands just don't really feel the need to push out on the national level. They love it when somebody from California buys it, but they don't feel the need to push it, which is which is great. They can just kind of have this homegrown feel, which is nice. I think that's what's interesting about the triangle is I feel like the bands that are here and then go elsewhere, we're a little spoiled because the scene is amazing and there's no shortage of options. There's always somebody that needs local support on a bigger show. There's always other bands at your level that will play a local show with you. And I feel like local bands here kind of have to make a game plan because you have so many options. It's like you want to keep it limited to this many local shows and you want to do this many out of area dates 
and you have to be picky and choosy about what opportunities you're going to take, which they're kind of shocked when they go on the road and go somewhere else and they're playing in the middle of nowhere in Minnesota. They're like, wait, why were there three people for my like garage rock show at this club that has like a 500, you know, you know what I mean? It's this whole thing where they are used to having kind of a built-in community here. And then if you don't put in the footwork elsewhere, because the lifestyle here that people are going to shows and they are in the know. And then elsewhere, if you're not doing that, they don't really see the disconnect there about how lucky we are to be here and to have all these options. Yeah, that's sort of big fish in a little pond syndrome. And we have that in Portland, Oregon, really, really, really badly. There's a publication called the Willamette Week. And if you get number one best new band in Willamette Week, suddenly everybody thinks they've done what they need to do and they can just go home and, you know, the phone call, the phone will just start ringing and they'll be famous tomorrow or something. It's really strange. So yeah, you're totally right. Getting, you know, getting people to understand that they need to get out of their scene is a very important, is just as important as getting people to understand that they need to be involved with their scene. Cause that's the, probably the number one thing I tell bands that send me demos. I'm like, don't send me a demo, go out and see your friend's band play. Yeah, like that's how you make. Yeah, just be in the audience, continuously be in the audience, and be friends with people. You know, you they'll come see your band. You know, you, connections are how we make a scene happen. And you're not gonna. I mean, literally, a cold demo to a record label is like a waste of those ones and zeros. Yeah, instead, make CDR copies of it and take it into the record store and put it on the counter for free. That's something I like to tell people: is just give it away for a little bit and and try to build something that way. And I think, too, it's important that when you're making those connections that you make those connections in a very genuine way. Because I think it's a lot of people kind of recognize that that's a reality that needs to happen, that you need to you know, network and know the right people. But it's also very transparent when you, know, when you kind of are doing it for the wrong reasons, when you are just kind of trying to go through the motions. Like, and yeah, I think that that's something that people see through like really quickly. And I think that that's just as unhelpful you know you have to be like genuine in how you talk to people and connect with people like you can't just show up and hand everybody your demo and expect that that's going to get you somewhere like you really have to kind of like what sarah said put in the the like real work to make those real connections what's the radio aspect of this because i think hand in hand with the sort of weird post-internet getting back to scenes thing we're also sort of getting to a community radio we're kind of getting back to this community radio model because that's where people are finding the music that they actually want to listen to. I mean, I don't know if, maybe I'm alone in this room. If I hear that Chainsmoker song one more time, <laughs> I will kill somebody. It, it makes me want to kill, right? It's this exact number of beats per minute. And then the next song is the exact summer, same number of beats. Per, like, God forbid you listen to a top 40 radio station, you will die. Right, yeah, I mean, I guess like, to testify to being spoiled by all the music that we get. I have like no idea what you're talking about. I like don't know what song <laughs> that is. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's really interesting and I, I, I can't necessarily speak about the other kind of college run radio stations, but WXCU does everything on, in physical, like all the new music that we kind of put on our playlist, which is like a four week rotation of the most recent stuff or reissues or whatever all physical. We don't do really specialty shows or runoff of computers. So I think there's something about, you know, maybe to link this back up with sort of the the upswing and in, in kind of people's interest in, in like physical music is that it's it's something when you're like sitting there and you're like holding it in your hand and you like, even if it's a CD and you can like look at the art. But yeah, I think perhaps it, it just has something to do with kind of like a, just like a really small community all talking about the same thing all the time. Like it's really interesting 
when we, we do like charting and stuff too to see like okay this band like got 15 plays or this unexpected thing i mean it's also cool when someone brings something from outside of the scene and it like blows up and that happened with our promotions director at, at xdu just like brought the cd of his friend from houston and people loved it it got like 25 plays in one week which is like pretty unheard of it's like on the higher end and then played a show so i think it's just sort of like when you get like this small i guess like nexus of people that are extremely enthusiastic about all different types of music that really starts to bleed out outside of that little like small community of people and i think you know like oh this is really popular at the radio station right now i'm going to show all my friends it or whatever so i think those like kind of i guess like almost like brain trusts of people who really care about music for nothing i mean like people who are working in community radio really are like in it because they love music so yeah i mean i think i think like enthusiastic groups of people can have a big impact on like a larger scale which is cool to see and with local radio too the triangle is also really lucky to have three university radio stations all of which have completely different formats and i guess kind of completely different visions for themselves you know WXDU is kind of a blend of like students and community members wknc which is nc state's radio station is much more in kind of a standard radio format where they have you know specific blocks of programming and WXYC in Chapel Hill is just kind of whatever. And so they're, <laughs> yeah, if you've listened to XYC, that's the closest I can get to it. And they all serve really different audiences, I think, but they also all really serve the same audience. And having these three different radio programming formats, I think really kind of is an opportunity to really saturate yourself in basically whatever you want. You could listen to, you could just go back and forth among all three of those radio stations and not sing, hear a single song repeated one time, which I think is also really special. It probably doesn't hurt that this is sort of a college area too. You guys have several colleges because colleges are traditionally where a lot of people sort of do their music discovery in a lot of, a lot of cases. I always say, because I'm a pessimist at heart, that 90% of people don't like music and 10% of people do like music, but even the 90%, when they do like music, they like it in college, right? Which is why there's all these bros who are like 50 who are jamming to you know, that one song that was big in their frat days. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but you, know, you guys came to this because you all love music and you're all crazy music people, which is sort of how we all got into this mess to begin with. So how is it, you know, how is it for you, Stephen? How do you feel like your, your love of music is just enriched by this whole <laughs> community? I joke about it a lot because actually I probably listen to a little bit less music than I did when I start overall because I listen to so many bands come through and uh, the flip side of a lot of this, like there's a lot of good music around. There's a lot of opportunities to go see good music is sometimes you'll book a show that like I'll think is really awesome and there won't be a whole bunch of people just because it's really saturated and um, I think that kind of goes with like the internet whenever you can just stream everything on Spotify a lot of those albums are less special on your first listen it's not like buying a record and being like oh well I have this I'm gonna sit down and put it on and like really pour over everything that came with it it's just like it's kind of fleeting and uh to a certain extent, there are at least like four places that regularly have music within a walking distance of Local 506. There's the Cradle, there's the Cave, there's um, the Station, there's Second Wind has some... There's just a whole bunch of things around, and I think that sometimes 
it's not like people are looking as much to find good things to go to because it's just everywhere. So uh, I still do, I mean, I think that my love for music has been enhanced by the people that I can meet, the bands that I can see that do really well. But it's also just sometimes the area, for as great as it is, can be a little discouraging because there is so much and you have a lot of hits and you have some misses. And I think a lot of that's because nobody's doing what I did whenever I was in high school going to every venue in the area's website and listening to every band and trying to be like, who do I want to go see? It's more like, oh, if I've heard this band and they're like, like you were saying with the college kids, oh, well, it was on my radio. Maybe I'll go see them as opposed to here's this new touring band that's really good. But and I have everything put out there. We can put like we can run ads for it, put it on the website, link to every single thing they've ever done. And getting somebody to listen to that in the first place is uh, it's kind of hard because there's so much going on. But overall, I'm very happy with what I do. And I think it as much as I joke that I don't listen to music anymore. I listen to a lot more music than I did before. It's just there's a lot more personal investment and like. I get disappointed sometimes whenever I really like something and there's nobody there. So not to be completely negative because that's not like every show ever, but it's just that's an aspect of it that I think is important to to realize. It's, you know, you can have the community and everybody can tell somebody to go see a band, but not only is there so much going on, but sometimes there's multiple shows of the same kind with the same scene going on at the same time, like on the same night. And, you know, it can't always work out for everybody, but it's a good problem to have. <laughs> There's too much going on. I think it's also a timing thing, like seeing the bands that would come through, because I used to work at 506 with Steven and like Mitski and Downtown Boys who would play to like 20 people and then come back and are selling out the cradle. You know, that's, that's what makes it really special too, and at the Cave and Slims as well. And kind of a note to the working together part of the scene is also when there are shows that are similar, or shows, and this is one of my favorite things that Mark has done in the past, where he'll be like, hey, a lot of like these two big bands that are kind of similar and people have the same fan base for both, we're gonna push this back 30 minutes so that you can catch that and then make your way back over to this other show around the corner, which is really cool, like just that, that teamwork thing for multiple people playing shows on one night in a close area. That is so, cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's also like you were talking about, though, in terms of like market saturation, like bands have to understand, local bands have to understand, they can't just play every week. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of that with my bands where I've always told them, learn to be missed. Because if you have the opportunity to see one of your favorite local bands once every two weeks, it's like, okay, well, I, I can just wait until the next one because it's already announced for people who do that, which I don't understand. Or I know that they're going to just play next month because that's what they've been doing for the past however long. But if you see a band like, hey, guess what? We're playing a show. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm so excited. I haven't seen them in so long. And that's really special. So yeah, the learn to be missed lesson I think is really important for local bands, especially here, because they just want to get out as much as possible and think that every show is going to be more fans. And sometimes that's not necessarily the case. So. I was a soldier And I marched the streets of Birkenau And I recall in spring The perfume that the air would bring To the indolent town Where the barkers call the moon down The carnival was ringing loud 
Here I Dreamt I Was an Architect by the Decemberists. Want an even closer look at issues we talk about on the show? Our monthly newsletter will keep you informed about news, upcoming events, episodes, and more. You'll also have access to exclusive offers and behind-the-scenes looks. Sign up at killrockstars.com slash the future of what and win a Future of What t-shirt. Support for the Future of What comes from Merch Table. Kill Rockstars has partnered with Merch Table for almost six years now. And they've come through for us in a lot of ways. Like when the comedian Kurt Brownoller wanted a face towel with his face on it. Merch Table found a way to make this. And it's been one of our most popular items in our mail order store. KRS loves Merch Table. You're listening to the future of what? We're talking to Chaz Martinstein from Bull City Records, Mark Connor from The Cave, Allison Hussey from Indie Week, Sarah Schmader from Burn Sweet Booking, Aaron von Steinberg from WXDU, and Stephen Mooneyhan from Local 506. I have a question. This is like a real legit question. Like I actually really don't know the answer to this and I'm fascinated because when I was playing in bands, I, I was doing it in New York City where it was the Lower East Side. It was before everyone moved to Brooklyn. And everybody was so awful. It was like a terrible rock scene because, because everybody just acted like, oh, if I just play tonight at Brownies, there's going to be 30 A&R people in the audience and I'm going to get signed. Like that was everybody's goal, right? It was just to like play that show where the A&R guy shows up and says, you're fabulous. Here's a 88 page contract, you know, which almost never happened. But still, everyone just thought that was going to happen. But here you don't I don't I don't get the sense that you guys really have that kind of pressure. We don't have A&R people wandering around, so <laughs> I think that helps. Well, wait a second. You have two international record labels out here. You have Yep Rock and Merge. And, uh, and a lot of times when they go out, they're just part of the crowd, too, so people don't actually treat them kind of like A&R folks. They're just, oh, that's cool. They're here. That's pretty cool. Let's play a good show, I guess. But uh, it's a good kind of scrappy scene because a lot of, you know, a lot of this wasn't happening 10 years ago, so a lot of these bands kind of came 
you know, for a while there were two or three bands in Durham. So they actually would play every two weeks, and we wanted them to play every two weeks. But, you know, you do get to the point where as more bands kind of come in, and you have these older bands that kind of help usher them in, it ends up being more of a community because you're all playing for each other, with each other. You play a lot of shows sometimes. You play a few shows where it might just be you and the band also, so you kind of have a camaraderie there. But... Yeah, I, for some reason, we don't have a ton of that, which is nice. And I think a lot of times bands that do have that attitude will not be asked to play again, or they won't, or the band who's booking this show won't ask them to play because the people kind of like that sort. Maybe that's because we're in the South here, but people like that nice attitude and respond well to it. So the band that's too big for their britches, you will kind of see they'll. They won't get pushed out, but they'll get kind of edged out to the sidelines, which is a super, very interesting phenomena, especially kind of, you know, a lot of us deal in that kind of. 100 to 250 person venue and there's just not enough space i think for bad attitudes in those areas that's heartening (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah chess i was just gonna say i like really agree that it kind of goes back to the point i was trying to make earlier about just like people being genuine like Mm -hmm. i'm sure it is as it is for like booking people like it's pretty clear when somebody just has too big of an ego or yeah, I I think I kind of missed my point again. But no, I th- I think that you're right that like because the community is so small and so tight that it is pretty evident like when when somebody just like is in it for the wrong reasons. Some of our our venues and I know I'm pretty sure I think Mark has we've even some of these venues in the community have actually turned touring bands away because you do research, you don't kind of like their attitude. And so and I know that happens everywhere, but it's, you see it happening here. And, and I, I find that really interesting too. So also you're not kind of bringing in negative vibes also. And there's also a very clear stepping ladder here, which I'm not sure if that can be said about some other scenes. It's, it's, it's very, very cohesive to do an in-store chazzes, then I'm going to play the cave, and then I'm going to play 506, and then I'm going to play, you know, it's... And we all talk to each other. They all, they all are in communication. And Allison ran into Chaz and said, I heard this about this, and they acted this way. So it's, it's this really interesting process where at any step of that, you know, they're all talking to each other. So it, that could stop at any point, you know. Cool. So point number one for our musicians, young musicians, is don't be a douche. <laughs> right? That's because we gossip. That was yes. That's true. Yeah. People it's true. are now really politely saying we gossip. <laughs> We all just gather at the cave. What other uh, good advice do you guys have for young bands? I'm sure you're full of it. I think especially in a small scene like this, a piece of advice I would give for bands is to just be gracious. Again, just like be genuine. You kind of have to reconcile or like think about like what you're asking of people. Think about like what you want to do you know like I get nasty emails sometimes of people demanding to know like why this show wasn't covered and it's just like well did you email me about it or like did you tell anybody about it and I think it's important to recognize again that this is like a small community and you know people have a lot of connections and you can't just like step all over people you know kind of back to your point it's just like just be cool like be nice be kind be respectful of other people's time and efforts and you know if you can't get a particular show date you want like don't throw a tantrum do not throw tantrums on social media if you don't get what you want yeah just yeah I guess just be cool (laughs) and I think from the selling side also don't wait to get signed just go ahead and go forward and put your own stuff out whether it be on tape Uh, people are still buying tapes from me 
if you do a tape, put a digital download card in it because then somebody that doesn't have a cassette deck can still buy it for the digital download. But just put your stuff out, and if you're good enough, people are going to find you as opposed to you working really hard and getting frustrated and find somebody. Just put it out, CDs, CDRs. If you do press an LP, try to keep it under $20 on, the, on a record store floor. You're way more likely to sell at a better price point. But yeah, just, just put your own stuff out. Try to carve your own path, make connections. Like, you were, like we were talking about earlier, go see other bands, talk to them. Don't be pushy. Be persistent but nice. You know, don't be too persistent, but be politely persistent. But yeah, work on, you know, work on yourself and make those connections. I think that's a particularly good piece of advice because labels are just deluged in demos from bands that haven't done anything and I think it, I can't repeat it enough it's like you don't really know if you want this job until you do this job and in this day and age in this financial climate nobody is going to take a chance on you if you've never even tried to do this on your own you know so go ahead and record your whatever for 150 bucks or whatever and put out a cassette if it's good if people buy it you know and then take it on tour and you can sell it and, you know, go to McDonald's. I think, too, I think it's important for young bands especially to learn how to take criticism and recognize that it's not necessarily personal. And, again, to just, like, listen to people who have, like, done things and been through things. Um, <laughs> that doesn't work for me very well. <laughs> it's, like, I... And I, you know, I've been on the other end of this myself. Like, I understand that it's deeply difficult when you feel like you've poured your whole self into something and somebody says they don't like it or somebody says or you know if your record isn't selling well that's really hard and it doesn't feel good but you know if something isn't working if somebody's telling you something's not working it's important to listen to them and just just think about it and you know think about how you can like do better next time or like how you can keep improving like if Again, if you like throw a tantrum or, you know, if you wonder why nobody's buying your $35 record, you know, it's, it would be important to listen to somebody just like Chaz. Yeah. yeah. It's constructive criticism. It's not right, exactly. mean criticism. We want the seek one of the big secrets is we want to like your band. Right. We like music. Yeah. We want to like you. So it's constructive criticism. That's not a, a, a slam. It's well, maybe if you tweaked this, it would reach more ears. Yeah, like ultimately we're all kind of in this together. And, you know, if somebody is trying to offer you constructive criticism, it's not because they want to tear you down. It's because they want to, like, pick you up. And in turn, like, you know, a rising tide raises all boats. And so, you know, if, like, everybody's consistently trying to do better, then everybody wins. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'd tell young bands is, like, there are a lot of people in this area that want you to do well. Like, we do well if you do well. I've talked to a class at UNC for the past two years that's like their rock lab, and they put together rock bands, and we have their show. And I was surprised with the questions that I got, because they were like, how can I not make the sound guy mad at me? (laughs) (laughs) And and I'm like, well, one, don't tell him you want everything in your monitor, because then you're going to get a whole bunch of toms and nothing else. But two, just like, ask questions when you aren't sure. Listen, they want to help you. Like, I mean, I know I don't keep people around if a young bang comes in and doesn't really know what they're doing and asks, asks a question and then it's like, oh, well, you should know this. It's like, no, there's no handbook for this. We're in the business of like helping people out, starting out like we want everybody who plays music that comes through to do really well. 
yeah, the, the biggest thing is just people are know things in this area and they're willing to help you to learn those things. And I've had promoters that like people that wanted to start booking shows come to me and try and tell me things. I'm like, well, this doesn't make sense. Like, here's how we normally do it. And a lot of times they're like, well, thank you for being hands on because I've booked shows in other areas and like they just let me do whatever and then get mad at me whenever I get to the club because I didn't do it right. And it's like, no, you know, we want to help you. So that's a, it's the biggest thing for, I think, new bands is pay attention to what people say. Listen, people want to help you. And if they don't, then you might not want to play where they work. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can also sort of speak to, I mean, I would yeah testify to generally everyone being really nice to young people who have no idea what they're doing. I also like work at a um, venue on, on my campus and I do sound sometimes. And one of the first times I ever did sound was for Collapse, who's like a local DJ. And he wanted obviously something really simple because he's a DJ. He just like wanted a stereo setup thing. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. And he's like, all right. Let me show you. And he was just like unpretentious about it and like told me everything I needed to know without being like, well, why is this kid like trying to run sound if he has no idea how to do this simple setup? So like it's super encouraging for people like me who are, you know, trying to like learn all this stuff that like there's not a bunch of embittered adults, I guess, to call people adults, but like in embittered people older than me that are like, you punk ass kid, what do you like? <laughs> what Like, who do you think you are? So it's really nice. Uh, when when people are just like kind and generous i think a lot of the musicians in the triangle like taught me how to be just like a good person honestly like totally changed my conception of what it means to like be a musician who actually care about cares about their music so yeah i think that's a huge difference actually because you know in the new york scene when i was was like late 90s when i was in bands it felt like everyone is in constant competition with each other you know, and so what you guys are saying is actually kind of a lot nicer. It sounds like people understand that they're in a community and trying to work together. Because, yeah, we just were, like, hitting each other over the head to, oh, they're dead. Do I get their show? <laughs> oh, there are still those people. <laughs> like, <laughs> just like we were saying, they kind of get pushed off to the side if they have that attitude. You don't keep working with them. If I wake up and I announce support for a show and somebody, because I make the mistake of putting my phone number in my emails, calls me and leaves me, a voicemail like why didn't I get on this or whatever it's like well you there's a reason for that that you're demonstrating right now <laughs> and good luck in your future endeavors <laughs> so can you guys give me does anyone have any sort of predictions for the future like do you think things are going to stay the same do you think they're going to change a little bit like what's your what's your sense of of where this this community is going musically I hope they stay the same I, I think we've had peaks and we've had downs uh, and I think Maybe that's hopefully something that keeps us humble. But, uh, I mean, even the bigger artists, the bigger bands that are in town are still frequenting your local spots. You know, you can still go to your Whole Foods or go to your, your local bar and not really get bugged. And I think that's something that is going to be helpful in that. But we have gotten to the point, yeah, I think where we have, you know, a big enough bands that it could be. Well, we had eyes on us, I guess, kind of around the whole megaphone era and all that. And... I don't think the area got too big of a head. It was kind of nice. Maybe it did for a second, but it corrects itself, which was kind of interesting. It goes up and down. I think we, we remember, hopefully, kind of the ups and the downs and keep a, an even even head there. Maybe. Anybody else? I'd agree. I think that my concern, which can probably be shared across the board, is the terrifying worry of, oh, my gosh, what if people 
stop going to shows? And what if they're keep, like, what if that declines over time? Because it seems like in the triangle, there's always going to be new bands, and then there's always going to be less people that are going out to shows on weeknights or staying out late or just walking around and wandering into shows. You know, those that margin is shrinking, and the bands are going to keep coming. <laughs> so I think that's kind of a looming thing that I think about as far as just show attendance from a venue aspect a little bit, and I'm sure you two can speak more to that, but that's always kind of a looming worry is bodies and like, are people going to come out to shows? <laughs> well, it strikes me that this area is growing. I mean, I've only been here for like 24 hours, but I mean, I'm staying in the Durham Hotel, which is fancy, and it's there's a bunch of new hotels, and there were a lot of people in that rooftop last night. They looked like they had money. They're building a Target in Chapel Hill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and people are saying that there's an influx, like, because certainly where I live in Portland, like, Portland has now pretty much been tapped out in terms of, like, it is really expensive to live there. So people are now moving to Astoria, Oregon, which that's a whole other panel. Astoria, there's a lot of seals there. I'm serious. Sea lions. Sorry. And now a lot of rock bands. But... So it seems like there's like an influx of people or this is still one of those areas that actually might be right in the middle of a boom, like kind of growing. So that could have an, a significant impact on the music scene. Yeah, the thing, the thing I worry about, about that, and this is maybe a more long-term concern, is at some point rent becoming too expensive. When I book tours for bands, I see things like rooms in New York and Boston and some other places where... They don't, like, they have a talent buyer, but that talent buyer doesn't do anything. He offers to let you rent the room. Like, that, that to me is, like, the club not taking enough risk. Like, part of the risk you own is the club is that you book the bands, and if nobody comes, you didn't do your job by connecting to folks and getting people into the room, and everybody shares that responsibility. The band wants that to happen, too. But I worry about things like, because I look at that as just, like, a pay-to-play -pay scheme. I worry about things like that happening and, and hurting this scene long-term by us not finding. But like, like Sarah said, we have this nice stepping stone of like, you know, you can play the cave and then you can play uh, all the 250 capacity rooms or whatever. And then if you graduate from there, you can get larger still. And I, I worry to some degree that in 10 years that will be a difficult thing for us to have. That was kind of what I was getting at with the Target thing. It seems like there's a lot of... Franklin Street, whenever I moved here, was a lot of local businesses, and there are certainly chains, but there's nothing the magnitude of like a superstore going on. And I think it's even like, like a mini Target, but still, I mean, we've seen rent go up. I guess it's about a year ago they were trying to move the cradle in Carborough whenever they were trying to build an art center from the town there. It's right next to like a nice hotel now and a like corporate center for a shoe company, and it's it's... Uh, if that's vulnerable, then you worry a little bit. If like that's going to get pushed out of where it is, because that's an institution. And what about everybody else that's uh, that's doing this, doing well now? But you know, if it keeps growing, are we going to have to like move out of the town or something? It's just, it's, it's that is a legitimate worry that Target brought me to. <laughs> so. Well, we are just about out of time. I wanted to see if maybe there were any questions from the audience for you guys. Anybody? I think there's a microphone right there if anyone has a question. So just playing off something, Stephen, that you said about a number of you touched on that that conundrum of there's a, a thing happening here of part of this scene and then here and it's at once. And then it sounds like there's some back end conversation of you guys. 
But doesn't that also then fall back on, wasn't that the promise of the internet, right? Like, are there bulletin boards so that they can coordinate? Like, what are what are things that we can do with these that you use that we can use? You know, just what are maybe some at least interim solutions or, you know, just bringing up that problem again? Well, what I was thinking about was less that people don't know about them and more that if they're going on at the same time, we're like, we are a finite community. <laughs> People can't be at both of them. But uh, you're right. Use the internet and you'll find out about all these things. But I guess uh, my concern was, again, there's just so much that you can know about all of it. There's the indie lists every show that goes on in the Triangle each week. And you can just read and you'll know exactly what's going on. My concern was more there's sometimes you have two shows that are like both bands on Bloodshot Records and people can't go to both. So I guess that's what I was getting at. I don't know if that answers your question as much. Yeah. There's the the Triangle Rock website kind of compiles everything. They they do a good job. But I think that that's one of the issues. I think I don't think it really bands are always touring. So I think it's just oh, inevitable it's going to happen. Like the same these two bloodshot bands will play on the same night. So it's not something that you can really in the within the network stop. It's just that's how their tour schedule was. So I think it's just one of those things that's just it's going to happen. Yeah, and share your friend shows. Post about your friend shows. Make, write a list. If you if it's a Friday night and you're going out and you're walking around, tag every show that's happening within that area that you're walking around in and help out because someone might not know that sees it. That's true. Yeah, just click the share link. Yeah, that's yeah, a really good real point. Easy. Yeah. Real easy. Retweet. You know, or I suppose we talked about things where venues work together to make sure that fans can see both shows by staggering the times and things like that. Go to both shows. That encourages those venues. Like if... Somebody, if I see somebody with two hand stamps because we did that, I'm like, cool, that worked. We should do that more often when this happens. That encourages that. Yeah, you vote with your bodies in the room. Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you to MotorCo for hosting this. Thank you to my panelists, and thanks to you guys for coming out. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Jeff Hansen, The Decemberists, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.